Can learning transform your life? This is Impact Learning with Maria Zinedou, a podcast where you will hear personal stories about how we learn, work, and live in the connection economy. Together with her guests, she will teach you to design your learning journey and create the life you want. On today's episode... You can be subjected to the same things that are happening. So whether it's the catastrophic thinking or something bad happening or whatever, but if you can somehow get in touch with the physiological sensations and just notice where they are, it can immediately calm down your system. It gets you out of that very emotional circuitry and brings it just um, lowers the the blood flow to those areas. So it can help you just feel a little more clear-minded. Hey everyone, it's Maria, and you are listening to Impact Learning. I hope you and your families and loved ones are all doing well and staying calm and healthy. My guest today is a neuroscience researcher and clinician focused on brain waves, heart rhythms, and micro movements that influence our ability to self-regulate and build healthy relationships. She helps her clients understand minds and neuroscience and develop agency so that they can navigate through uncertainty and overcome obstacles with courage. We discuss how our brains are affected by high-stress situations like COVID-19 and how we can learn to self-regulate so we can avoid getting stuck in negative thinking. She shares with us tools we can use to prime our brain at the start of our day and also when panic strikes us. She also talks about having empathy for those who may be struggling more than we do because their past experiences lead them to sense and process information differently than we do. Let's welcome back my dear friend, Stephanie Faye Frank, who is no stranger to this podcast. Stephanie joined us last year when we discussed the neuroscience of a growth mindset and learned how to develop it for ourselves and our children. If you have not listened to episodes 22 and 23, I bet you will enjoy learning from Stephanie. I call her my neuroscience teacher and coach. You can find more about Stephanie's work at stephaniefay.com S-T-E-F-A-N-I-E-F-A-W-E.com where she has her blog, podcast and videos, as well as her recent TEDx talk on humans, the most experienced dependent species on the planet. I'm thrilled to share with you all yet one more fascinating conversation with Stephanie. Let's dive right in. Hello, Stephanie. Welcome back to Impact Learning. Hi, Maria. Thank you. It's very nice to be here. So we are here today to talk about all the changes we are experiencing and what actually happens to our brain in the midst of the turmoil. But before we start our discussion, I want to ask you a very simple question. How are you, Stephanie? (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing very well, considering. Um, Yeah, there are a lot of changes. There's a lot of changes in my own life that happen to all coincide with all of this. So I'm having to practice a lot of what I 
talk about <laughs> in my workshops. Um, but yes, it's things are going quite well. Thank you. How about you? How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm probably one of the fortunate ones because I, I, I have not been affected much when it comes to my work. Yes. For the last couple of years, my work is basically all, you know, uh, virtually using technology. Uh, the kind of work I do, it has not been affected. That's why I am grateful that it hasn't affected, you know, let's say my, my work. But of course, everything else around me it has been affected and has been turned upside down. So, yeah, it's, yeah. But what is, since you mentioned, what is the biggest change for you, for your life, your lifestyle or your work right now? Well, um, some of them are not related to the COVID. Um, so some of that is personal, some, some relationships that have ended, some very important relationships um, that are transitioning into just a new, a new format. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. A very big move. So I relocated to be closer to work. And in terms of work, I, so I work in an intensive outpatient clinic. So we're considered an essential service. Um, we have people who are coming out of hospital situations and things like that for mental health reasons. So uh, my, my actual work hasn't changed all that much. I'm going into work every day. I work probably about 50 hours a week. But what's different is getting to work and all the things around that. So um, at work, we've kind of created a bubble of normalcy, which I think is really important for a lot of people to have a sense of routine. But yeah, just for example, getting to work, I'm usually the only person on the train. I still take public transit. Um, and so there is a lot of uh, there's a lot of mindfulness that I, I think we'll be talking about in this episode that is required in terms of thinking about, you know, which services I've been touching and who's on a train car and distance and all that kind of stuff. So it's a, it's a many different changes all at once. Um, but I am also very, very grateful that for now, anyway, I am still going into work and I still have a decently normal routine the way I did before. I think this part that you mentioned, the routine, the what feels normal or what has order, how important is it right now? for us to keep uh, moving forward because the situation we are in is not going to be over next week. Exactly. I think having a routine is, is really important for our nervous system. We need to have things in place where we don't have to use a lot of processing power. So every time we make a decision, our brain has to use a different activity that's often, you know, in the prefrontal cortex, which is that frontal area of the brain. Um, it's decently resource intensive. So it uses just a lot of energy for us to make new decisions and make new choices all the time. So having any kind of routine that we can where we don't have to make a decision for every move we make. So for example, you know, a similar time that we get up, similar things we can even eat for breakfast or a, something soothing we listen to in the morning. Um, all of those things are really going to help just preserve some of that, those resources, those brain and body nervous system resources that we can use for dealing with all the other stuff, all the other volatile things, the changes that are happening. So any way that we can create some kind of structure is really helpful for our nervous system, especially if we are working with people who either are younger because they that's something that they really need as they're building up different kinds of brain architecture and things like that. And people who are 
feeling particularly vulnerable. Um, so they're going through higher levels of stress. So it's important for us to try and have some kinds of routines, whether that's even a, a FaceTime, you know, session that's a similar time each week or things like that. All of that stuff just helps preserve some of that, the brain and body resources for other choices that we're going to have to start making <laughs> to be creative with our time and things like that. So yeah, a sense of normalcy is very important for us to try to create during this time. Does it also give us a sense of uh, safety that maybe a lot of things around us have changed and we don't have control over, but there are still some things that we, they are the same. Like the, it, I call it like comf comfortable things, things that we are used to. Yes, very much. And a word, so safety, I think, is also correlated with a sense of agency. So just like what you were saying, um, when we feel like we can have control over certain things, that gives us a locus of control or a sense of agency that says that there are certain things that I can do to adjust my environment, my internal environment, my external environment. And that's very important for us to have. Um, that creates that sense of safety, psychological safety for us. So yeah, so anything we do, for example, like a routine, where we can make adjustments to keep something somewhat similar each day that creates a sense of agency. And that's something that a lot of people, if they start getting too focused too soon on the external world and all the other things, all the factors and components that are very up in the air right now, you get overwhelmed really quickly because there is no sense of agency over that. So if you're zooming out to that picture very often, it's important to zoom back in to the tiny little micro decisions that you can make within your day where you can feel a sense of agency over that. It's very important. Beautiful. Thank you. So let's now start talking about COVID and the situation we are in. Mm -hmm. So it's um, a way I think about it is that it's very stressful with a lot of uncertainty and a lot of discomfort and pain. How do we as humans respond to this kind of situation? And why does our response vary among us? Hmm. Well, I'll start with the, that last question you asked, which I think might cover the other ones too. Um, we're going to respond differently based on our different experiences with uncertainty and pain. And there's different scenarios that are happening for different people. It's so, it's very context dependent. So let's take, for example, some of the pain that's, that's happening is actually coming from people who have to spend a lot more time with each other than they're used to. So there's a lot of discomfort coming from being shelter in place and having to be, be together a lot more. So there's and, you know, there's lots of other kinds of pain, too, that are coming from people who are getting hospitalized and all of that. So there's many different forms of this type of discomfort. But let's just take the idea of discomfort in general. Um, our responses are going to be different based on a few things. Um, one is that it's going to be somewhat influenced by our track record with discomfort and uncertainty. So how this changes from person to person is some people can become very aware of the fact that they have moments where they're very uncomfortable about things. There's a lot of fear, there's a lot of stress, but then they also become aware of the fact that they have gone through things before, that they have 
risen to the challenge. They have pushed through uncomfortable times and they've gotten out on the other side. And there's things that they've learned from that. When people are aware of their ability to do that, their ability to be that flexible and adaptive, that helps bring some level of regulation to the idea of uncertainty and discomfort and pain. But there's other people too that are not as aware of this. They may have had a lot of discomfort in their life or struggle, or they may have not had any kind of uncertainty in their life or as much discomfort. And in some of those cases, they may not be as aware of the fact that they have actually pushed through different situations and they have survived them. So part of what I see is a difference in, in different people is some people are in a way, I would say maybe forgetful of how incredibly resilient they actually are. <laughs> There's like a storyline, a, a bit of a belief or a mindset that may have been programmed from who knows where, um, from society or from their own childhood or from just different messaging that they've received over the years that they are not capable of handling challenges, that they are in some ways a, a victim or, or helpless to different things. And I find in those situations that people feel like they don't have a sense of agency over anything. And what happens sometimes in those situations too is that where there could be little decisions to create comfort in their own home, such as what we were just talking about, creating a sense of routine and being aware that they have the ability to do that and create some comfort for themselves. They tend to focus a lot on what everybody else is doing and on um, the news and getting very wrapped up in the different reactions of other people. And I find that in those situations, they that their stress levels are, are going up. And I can sense that just based on their behaviors and getting very reactionary and anxious and maybe even a little bit aggressive or hostile um, as they get overwhelmed. Their system is getting overwhelmed by all the messages that are coming in from the external environment. So some of the differences I'm seeing is in how people are trying to control a lot of what they're seeing outside in the world versus some people who are recognizing what they are able to control within their small little corner of the world, um, whether that's just within themselves or within their home environment. So I'd say like a big part of the, the difference in the reactions of people are partly based on what, what they are aware of, they are able to control. I think some people are, are more aware of their ability to have a sense of agency within their own life. And some people are less aware of that. And it's way scarier to not be aware of the small things that you can do in each moment in time without projecting way too far into the future, but staying kind of more present in, in each moment. Mm -hmm. You have a very nice video. Uh, I am a big fan of your work, so I have read your blog and listened to the podcast and watched also your videos. You have a very nice video about how to build agency when you talk about the, exactly the track record. And then you talk about for those who may not have it, because not all of us have a say, similar experience mm -hmm. or might not have responded and leveraged it the same way, that we can still do like this reappraisal 
So yes. like it's almost like a, 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 and then focus on the experience instead of looking into the outcome and what could happen in the future. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for reminding me of that. Yeah. I think that that's that's the other thing that um, I'm seeing, too, is and this is this goes for really the universal concept of stress and disruption and uncertainty is um, this idea of reappraisal. So we can have certain reactions that maybe maybe are kind of out of control. When when things are disrupted in our life, there's going to be what's called a visceral reaction. So our body might tense up or our heart will start racing or our stomach is in knots. All of these things are things that our body is just naturally reacting to something it doesn't know and doesn't understand. Whenever there's a novel situation, our nervous system is designed to protect us. And the default answer always needs to be that it could be something dangerous to us. Um, mathematically, probability, statistically speaking, our nervous system has to do that first because that's the safest bet is to keep us on guard and alert and vigilant to something that's new. So we have to be aware that that's just part of our design and it is meant to protect us that when things are, are happening that we don't understand, especially, we tense up and our body reacts to that. But what can happen too is, so we have these visceral reactions. There are things that happen in our body from the cells, from the cellular level, and that go into the sensory, um, well, the sensory components of our organs, of our internal organs. And all of these messages get sent up to the brain. Um, but it's actually at that point where we can have a bit more thoughtfulness and mindfulness of how that gets reappraised. So we might have a flutter or tightness or tensing of muscles. And if we can become actually aware of that and allow ourselves to just feel how these things feel, it might feel like um, a folding over or a quickening of the heart, a quickening of the breath. If we can allow ourselves to also just reappraise this as this is something new, something new is happening. There is a lot of uncertainty but we don't actually know yet until we're faced with a very specific situation. We don't really know yet what the outcome is going to be. So in those moments, that can be where we decide, actually, what this is doing is this is building up new circuitry for me. This is giving me and my body and my brain a chance to develop a more flexible and adaptive way to deal with any kind of uncertainty. Yes, we're using this very specific example of COVID, but life always has other things too that create a lot of uncertainty and discomfort and all those kinds of things. So this actually gives our brain a chance to flex itself, to actually show what it's made of because the human brain is ri ridiculously flexible and adaptive. It knows how to try and find new creative solutions to, to do things, to move in a new way, to make more with less. Those are the components of human intelligence and the human brain that are really important. But a lot of times when we're kind of in the same types of situations over and over again, and we're not dealing with too many problems, we can get into more of a stagnant type of brain activity. So we can also look at this situation and all this uncertainty, and even the feelings that come with it, those visceral feelings of uh, angst and anxiety that are coming with it as a signal that this is a, a novel 
uh, new situation. And this is a chance. This is a chance for our brain, our brain circuitry, our nervous system circuitry to come up with new ways to work through things, to find new solutions and be creative. So it can also be an opportunity. And I think that's something that some people are maybe missing out on a little bit right now is they're only focusing on dead ends and the outcomes that are ending things and what's not going to happen anymore. But with that, every time there is that kind of ending, um, even the way our brain sees it, it means there's an opportunity for something new, something new for it to explore. So I think that's something that I feel is a really important part to bring into our lives right now is recognizing what is emerging though. What is new? What are the new possibilities that are emerging in our lives that we may have not really been acknowledging before or even exploring before? And now we're kind of getting forced to, to do that. So if we can keep our, ourselves in, um, not get so worried about our own fear, which sounds kind of funny, yeah. but uh, sometimes we get nervous and then we're worried about the fact that we're nervous. And there's actually studies that show that it's not necessarily stressful events that actually de are detrimental to our health. It's when people think that stress is negative. That's actually where, and I, I can't quote the study off the top of my head, but there was a decently big study on this. Um, it's reappraising stress as actually it's an, it's a part of life and our, our body's reaction to stress is very adaptive. It's a, it's a way that our body forms new connections and forms new behaviors. It's, it is the, the kind of zero point field from which our, our nervous system and body and brain create new connections. And how do we guide ourselves and others to not get stuck or not, to not stay stuck in this negative thinking of like everything will be basically catastrophic. I think the most important thing is um, at the beginning of the day. So I think it's more important to be thinking in a very, in a more proactive and preventative way than a reactive way. Because once the reactions start, it's pretty hard to not go down a downward spiral. And I think that there is a lack in society of intention in terms of how we start our day. So even just in terms of like, if you look from a brainwave level, when we're sleeping, we're in these very smooth, slow Delta brainwaves and our brain is integrating and it's consolidating information from the day before different synapses are actually breaking off. And there's even a shrinkage of the brain in order for new things to kind of happen. So that's all happening while we sleep. When we come out of sleep, it's that slow, smooth brainwave. We actually naturally enter this very smooth alpha brainwave. Um, and that, like, that's our more dominant one. And that is a kind of introspective brainwave. It's an inward focus, um, a little bit of mind wandering and some consolidation. What happens is that's actually a very relaxed state. And we can have a lot of um, even aha moments or just just smooth, easy mind wandering that happens right when we open our eyes and we're kind of coming out of that dreamlike state. But what a lot of people do is they immediately start doing two things. One, they immediately start jumping into what they were thinking about yesterday. <laughs> um, or two, they immediately jump to something like a device um, or even a person that they start talking to immediately. Without a window of time, where they actually could start easing into their day with a little more intention. So I would say that 
more important than trying to figure out how to react differently, how to start our day with, um, it's, it's a way of priming our brain to look for different things. If we start our day and we immediately jump into the news and the media, we are absolutely without question priming our brain to look for what to be vigilant for. We are priming our nervous system to say, be on guard and look for the negative, look for what's wrong. So I think that just by having a little more intention as we start our day can be something that is not easy um, (laughs) because I think a lot of people have muscle memory and habits and 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 an addictive type of behavior to start their day with the adrenaline of going on their phone and, and looking at all that stuff. So it will take work to do that, but I think that's one of the simplest um, things we could do to, to not go down that rabbit hole too quickly. Start our day with intention of, are we going to look for what is good, what is new, and what what new things do I have in my life that I didn't have before that I actually have to be grateful for? What new connections, what deeper connections, all those kinds of things. So if we can prime our brain for that in the beginning of the day, that already preps our, our nervous system to be looking more for clues of that late throughout the day. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. It's funny because between six and seven o'clock in the morning, when I enjoy my coffee or my tea, I call it prime my brain time. Yeah, I actually I actually have it blocked on my calendar because I schedule everything, <laughs> and I start with I start with journaling. Yes, and then I talk. Well, I talk. I review messages and things from my family nowadays mm-hmm. first, and I go about it. But this is and it helps. But however, during the recent time, Stephanie, that was not before, I found that while I prime my brain, I prepare to have like intentional, to be aware of what's happening to me and be more intentional about how I respond to it. These recent few weeks, I have found myself that during the day, it will be two or three times during the day that I'm other, I either feel like some discomfort or I feel like I lose my focus and this was not happening in January. Mm-hmm. So when these things happen, like, I, so this is now I have prepared myself, but still I may struggle a few times during the day. Is there anything else we can do again to now to manage a little bit the two or three times during the day that we may get out of our intentional life lifestyle? Yes. I think uh, two things that come to mind. One is definitely that idea of reappraisal, which is Mm -hmm. the more that we can get in touch with the sensations in our body um, and observe them, um, not necessarily label them as wrong or or that there's something bad happening, but just simply to observe them is a really important skill. It's very, it is difficult to to do, but I think just, I, I always bring it up as a practice because I think if people can just, give it a try once in a while, I think that will really help. So that will be where if you are doing something and all of a sudden you just notice your mind is wandering and you're catastrophizing or try whatever you can to feel where you are feeling it in your body to see if there is any type of sensation that is happening um, within your body as you do that. What you're doing when you do that is um, you're moving from so that the different brain centers that can kind of get into almost like an obsessive cycle. You're immediately when you notice a sensation in your body, you're 
changing, well, first of all, you're changing your brain waves, but you're changing the circuitry that's lighting up and you're bringing it more to part of what you could call the medial prefrontal cortex, which you also call the watchtower or the observer. It brings blood flow to that area of the brain. Um, and that's, you know, more in that frontal area. And what that does is it can kind of neutralize, um, neutralize the sensation. So there's a, there was a study done, um, I think it was Wake Forest University, where they had two different groups of people and they subjected them to pain. So they were, were given the same type of physical pain. It was heat on their finger. And one group was given the instruction of, um, you know, just go, we're going to put you in the MRI scanner and you're going to feel some pain. And then you're going to tell us how painful it was when you're finished. The second group was given a couple hours of just instruction and um, explanation of when you feel pain, we want you to just very uh, objectively describe, is it behind your fingernail? Is it like a pinprick or is it more like a dull? Is it where exactly is it located? And so that's when they did what they did when they went into the scanner. And what they found was that the region of the brain of the people, the first group that weren't given that instruction, it was very lit up in all the emotional centers, like the limbic area. And they rated their pain as quite high when they came out. The second group, um, there was no lighting up of the emotional centers. It was just in the tiny, tiny little circuitry for physiological pain. And when they came out, they rated the pain significantly lower. It was just, it was like a two out of 10 instead of a five out of 10 or seven out of 10. So part of what this just shows is that you can be subjected to the same things that are happening. So whether it's the catastrophic thinking or something bad happening or whatever, but if you can somehow get in touch with the physiological sensations and just notice where they are, it can immediately calm down your system. It gets you out of that very emotional circuitry and brings it just um, lowers the, the blood flow to those areas. So it can help you just feel a little more clear minded. So that would be one that's that reappraisal of just getting in touch with the sensations in your body. And the second is um, it's still tied with that preventative thing, but the more practice you can have of things that you notice that you're grateful for and you appreciate in a moment, the more you practice that, the more you might be able to switch. Um, this is something I have been doing uh, very actively in the last while because there's been so many changes in my life that a lot of people would judge as negative changes. Um, but I have gotten better at, at really trying in every moment to find something. I'll, I'll take a pause as often as I can throughout the day to just notice something that I like about the moment. Could be that, oh, I like that it's quiet right now. I like the temperature of the room. I like that my belly is full. I like that my clothes are comfortable. It will be something like that. And I do that quite a bit throughout the day so that when I do notice that I'm starting to go down a downward spiral, it's more, I, I'm able to kind of bring myself out a little more quickly and just notice something that I like. And it immediately stops that train of thought. Doesn't mean I won't go back to it at another point, but it kind of just gives me a little bit of, a bit of agency in that moment to pull myself out of that almost trance-like state when we go into that catastrophic mm -hmm. thinking, brings you back into the present moment. So I would say those two things, the um, some type of gratitude practice or appreciation practice and becoming aware of the sensations. Not many of us understand as well as you do how the like our nervous system works. And uh, 
one thing when I was listening to your uh, podcast about uh, the podcast episode about the self-regulation, one thing that uh, surprised me is that three different people listen to the same piece of audio or news and because of the sensory and all the different uh, steps, actually what we hear is different and then how we process it is different. Mm -hmm. the, the same, like the same, what I call like two minute, you know, update or press conference or whatever the update is. And, you know, and again, the, the situation we are dealing with now, every little piece of news is very critical. So it's, it's enough to trigger different, but the, how I, how we sense it and then how we process it can vary a lot among us. Can you help us understand what works there and why we respond in so different ways? Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Um, yeah. So, yeah, basically, no two people will ever experience reality in the same way, which is pretty mind-boggling when you think about it. It means that we all think we are noticing the same reality, that, that every experience just almost contains within it these factors. So let's say a two-minute press conference, we all think that everyone hears it the same way and that somehow the press con conference itself contains some sort of emotional ingredients, but that's actually not true. Every single cell of our body computes information and it computes it in a way that is built through experience. So Antonio DiMaggio does a lot of this um, explanation in a lot of his books, but he says, he calls it this, our senses are the gatekeepers. So our actual physical senses, which start with the cellular membranes on our skin as one example, and then the deeper layers under our skin, our eyes, our ears, all of those, you know, contain cells and the cells themselves are going to compute everything it sees and hears and touches differently for me than it would for you. And it will be completely based on my experiences versus your experiences. So we can receive the exact same words, the exact same information, and it's going to do, there's going to be so many factors that will completely alter how you receive it versus me. So let's give, let's take one word, um, let's say the word virus, let's just take a word like that. Um, you will receive that word completely differently than I will. And here's a few factors that will change it. One, so let's say the person, you're, we're both watching the same pre press conference and we see the same person speaking and they say the same word. You, based on your experiences, are picking up on tiny little micro signals of the speaker and every cell of your body is wired to figure out is this something I have to fear? Is this person telling the truth? And all of that is going to be based on every single experience you have ever had with another human being since you were born and how truthful your experiences were with them, all of that stuff, how safe you felt in your life with other people, how much you trusted authority, all of those kinds of things. So as you are watching this press conference, there's going to be little cues of uh, let's say their eyebrows scrunch in a certain way. Maybe their cheeks get a certain degree of red. Maybe you see a tiny bit of tension in their jaw. Every single one of those cues is going to be received by your eyes 
and through your ears. And there's already computing that happens as you receive, let's say the color of red from their cheeks is going to get computed by your the cells in your retina a certain way, goes up to your brain, and your brain is going to process that in a certain way that will either tell you, okay, I have a, a big thing to worry about now, or things are okay. Versus somebody else, let's say me, I have different experiences with that color of red from a person's cheeks or whatever this is. And as they speak, that all the information they're saying to me is going to be relayed through my senses, but based on my past experiences. So whereas you might think you might be receiving certain information and go into complete catastrophe, the world is ending, I might receive certain information and say, well, yeah, okay, we've been here before, you know, we're going to get through this. There's something logical that I can kind of come up with. So as we're, we're all kind of receiving this information, we have to understand that our senses, first of all, are our gatekeepers. So are all of our senses that are listening and seeing and doing all this, those are all completely different from each person to person based on our past. So all of those signals are getting you know, sent into our system in a different way. And then all of us have different neural circuitry based on our past as well. So a word like virus might have huge, huge emotional memories for one person and have no emotional memories for another person. So that also is going to fire up brain circuitry in different ways that are going to cause them to react. So it's, I think, important for us to be really compassionate too with each other as we go through this, because um, some people are going to react in ways that might seem completely exaggerated to another person. But what we don't understand is they didn't receive it in the same way because they have very different experiences. So it's not about judging one person to not react in that way and not be this way. It's more just an understanding that all of us have very, very different circuitry that we are coming into the situation with. So some of us might feel more calm than others, but it's not because it's another person's fault and it's not a judgment against the other person. It's just based on the specific things that are happening right now and the circuitry we have coming into this. So if we are able to stay calm, I think it's good for us to try and be a model of that um, without judging other people for not being that way, because that's really not going to help. That's just going to create an emotional contagion of judging people for being too afraid or other people judging other people for not being afraid enough. <laughs> so yeah, we're experiencing this in very different ways. Mm -hmm. So Stephanie, what you talked about is the process from what we sense, we hear, we see, uh, we touch or we observe, like, and what signals it sends to my brain. Mm -hmm. Now, there is the other part, like from the brain to my body. Like, yes. for example, one person can hear, again, the, the two-minute uh, conference and just take a breath and go about their work. And the other person can start feeling a stomachache or a tight chest or their blood pressure go up. So from the brain to the body, what happens there? And why do we respond in different ways? Yes. Uh, so that, that's a, you know, that difference right there is going to, is again, is still based on our experiences. But in this case, now we're talking about the signals moving up through the different um, nervous system fibers that go up to the brainstem. From the brainstem, there are different pathways. Um, so we can kind of, Joseph Ledoux did a lot of work on this. So there's what he calls the high road and the low road. 
So all of these messages go up to our brainstem and then they, they go into different circuits in our brain. Um, and some of the first centers of our brain are going to be closer to our brainstem. So some of those are going to be, um, you know, the very middle of the brain structures inside the brain, the thalamus and things like that, but also that limbic system, which is more of where we have what we would call emotions. I mean, emotions are complex, but we could say that there's some of that emotional valence, if you want, in those, in that limbic, those limbic system structures. And that includes something called the amygdala. And the amygdala holds on to emotion-laden memories. So both good and bad. So as these signals travel up, they go through the brainstem and they travel to different areas of the brain. It does this for all of us and it will go to the kind of what you could call low road, um, which is that more the amygdala as an example as part of that, where there's an immediate uh, emotional, if you wanna say, reaction to something like this should be avoided, this is fearful, this is dangerous, um, or, or this is okay. So if it travels to that and the person has does not have a lot of experience with regulating their own emotions, then it often gets immediately relayed back to the brainstem where there are signals that are getting sent down as motor signals to the body to either, you know, get into fight or flight mode. Um, it also will, if it will signal to close off blood flow to the internal organs, which means the internal organs are now not getting enough blood flow, means all of that stuff, all that act activity is going to the limbs and the extremities and the skeletal muscles, which is getting people ready to be agitated and to do something about it. So that's going to immediately cause a sensation of, you know, stress inside the body. Um, whereas the high road is... Uh, takes a little longer because geographically the prefrontal cortex where all of this information can then get coordinated and communicated and processed and there can be a thinking of okay let's weigh this out and let's think of the future and let's like weigh this against other things all that kind of stuff that's happening in that prefrontal cortex but it geographically it is further away from the brainstem it takes a little bit longer we're talking less than microseconds but you know it, when it comes to behavior this matters it takes a little longer for that to travel there. So a person who, let's say, you know, has the sensations that go up to the brainstem, they may still have the fearful reaction, but there is a moment before they make a movement, before they react to it, where they're allowing some of that electrochemical activity to hit some of their more frontal areas of the brain, which give them a chance to say, okay, wait a second. Let's wait before we react and let's see what happens and then and then we'll respond to something. So that person will look much calmer on the outside. And likely also, they won't be getting quite as many signals that are saying, go into alert, go into you know sympathetic nervous system um, overdrive, which means that they will still possibly have some blood flow going to their internal organs and their heart is still you know beating at a certain rate, a, a lower rate. So that person will also feel calmer inside. They'll feel better inside than the other person. Now, the difference between those two is, again, very based on our experiences. If we have not had a lot of ability through the people in our life, especially our caregivers, especially when we're young, if we haven't had a lot of opportunity to um, build that ability to self-regulate, which is that higher road, then it's just less accessible to us in a moment. 
so it's it is very still based on our past experiences our experiences growing up which road will will be able to take if we can take that higher road um, and it is a skill we can build up as adults but it takes it does take more effort and we have to we have to build it up as a skill and how is there a simple way or one way that we can start building this skill for me absolutely number one is meditation it is like 1000% the thing that I recommend to everybody to, to give a try. A lot of people, there's so many different forms of it, but the idea is to have an intentional segment of time during the day where you are purposely trying to have some say over where your mind goes. And what that does is it is activating those circuits that take signals because at all moments we are getting sensations in our body and all of that information is traveling up to the brainstem. If we can take about 15 minutes and it doesn't have to be more than that, but an, an intentional segment of 15 minutes a day to just sit and notice our breath, um, to pay attention to sensations in our body, just anything where we can even, it can be a clock ticking, some sort of rhythmic sound. Um, if we can do that, we are building up that circuitry and as long as if you can build up that circuitry in those calm moments they become more accessible during the stressful moments that that's the thing that i think a lot of people don't understand as part of the point of meditation it may not even feel like it's doing that much while you're doing it you might think what's the point i'm just sitting here this is boring this is stupid i have other things to do but if you can just take those 15 minutes what it's doing is it's building the muscle so that in the moments where there is some sort of stress, there's a better chance the other circuitry is going to light up before you start getting all the other signals that are going to stress out your body and make you feel sick. Mm -hmm. How important is that we learn to acknowledge these indicators? Like I felt like my stomach getting tight and my stomach does, never feels this way. So it was particular, you know, a few weeks ago when we saw the situation and all the change and, you know, I started thinking, okay, this is really going to be tougher than I thought. And, you know, this kind of thinking, right? And um, mm -hmm. immediately, uh, I, it was the first time I felt that. I thought myself like someone punched me on my stomach. Mm, wow. Yeah. Yes. And I was surprised because... I thought something else happened. I did not realize that it was related until I actually I sat down and I said, did anything happen? No. What is, you know, what's going on? So I said, it was this news. I said, it's, it's okay. I'm, I'm accepting that the news is not good. And I'm understanding, like, I'm sympathetic towards my, or compassionate, you know, for myself, because I, this is not something I have experienced before. And then, you know what I did, Stephanie? I don't know if there is a way to explain that. When I was a little girl and I had like a stomach ache or so, my mom would rub my belly with a little alcohol mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, the pain would go away magically. And I, I you know, I, I basically, this is what I did because mm -hmm. I did not, I did not know, like, did I get a cold? What happened? So I said, like, let me rub my belly, like my upper stomach, like, let me rub it a little bit with alcohol. And immediately I thought of my mom rubbing my belly when I was like five years old. Mm. And okay, of course, like in a few minutes and with a few breaths, it's, it went away. There was nothing physically wrong, right? Okay. <laughs> it, mm -hmm. And it went away. But it was. I, I thought it was funny because I had this memory. Mm -hmm. Did you? And so when you had the like that punch in the stomach, was it 
a thought you had or was it um, something external? It was external. It was when we realized, basically, when we started talking, it was a few days ago, when we started realizing how challenging the next few weeks will be for the U.S. Yeah. Very specific. Yeah. And I did not, not immediately, but as, as I went about and did, you know, in a, let's say maybe 10 minutes later, I felt like something, like what I call a little tight tightness in my mm-hmm. stomach. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. did not know if it was something I ate or something I did or, you know, again, I'd not connect these two things. And that's why I said, okay, something does not feel very good. Let me, like, let me massage it first. This is mm-hmm. what I did. I massaged it a little bit. I took some breaths. I sat on the sofa. And then I said, okay, let me use some rubbing alcohol because whatever it is, this is going to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and of course, it went away. And I'm sharing this because... Usually, this kind of news and everything does not affect me, Stephanie. But again, we are we are experiencing a very novel reality, and uh, I, I acknowledge it later, and I journal about it because that when I write, I always like figure things out. And I thought most likely this is what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, this is yes. how my body is through what you talked yeah. about through hearing the news, the sensors, the brain, the body. I said this is probably what happened because nothing else was wrong with what I ate or nothing. Nothing was wrong with me physically. It was an interesting. Ex- it was a very different experience for me. I think that's a really nice example of what it looks like to to self soothe and. The thing too that we a lot of us have to remember is that this is unlike any moment we've ever had in the history of humankind because not only because of you know what's happening but because of information sharing. So this event something similar has happened before, you know, in different moments of human history, but there was not information sharing the way there is now. And so the other thing we have to realize is that we are sharing in a collective anxiety, collective fear. So there is no corner of the world that's not touched by this, which means that we are electromagnetic beings. Um, We're not, it is our field of energy does not end um, on our skin. We are emitting frequencies at all times. And when we are near people, and even when we're listening to other people, we are picking up on the frequencies of their fear and anxiety as well. So we also have to remember that when you listen to news or when you're you you know when you're in a group of people, whether this is online or in person, there are these tiny you know, frequencies that are being sent out. Things that happen, for example, when a person is feeling very tense about something, their vocal cords, uh, the muscles in the vocal cords change, the frequency of their voice, your ear picks up on that that actually changes how the eardrum receives it, all of this stuff. So we are going to have physical reactions to that much fear and anxiety. When we wonder, you know, you, you had a sensation in your stomach, um, that is your body picking up on the collective anxiety too that's happening. So we are, all these frequencies are entering our own fields. And so we are going to have bodily reactions to some of this because our body is receiving those frequencies and it's saying something something is wrong. So it doesn't surprise me that when you, you know, were talking about it and it really started to become real, I guess, in some ways of how how much things would change, that you had a, a bodily reaction to it. 
and based on what I was saying before about, you know, blood flow kind of moving away from your organs and, and all that kind of stuff. And then what was neat about what you did was, uh, so, so something that can be very soothing and what you did is you basically changed the focus of your brain to move away from the very specific part inside your stomach and you moved it to the feeling of your hand on your stomach. And having a strong smell like alcohol also is going to move all of that chemical, like neurochemical activity. It's going to change it all to move away from focusing on the pain and start to create associations. So a, the smell, sense of smell is one of the strongest cues for memory. So if your mother used alcohol and th there was this specific smell, that's going to be one of the most powerful ways for you to go back into that memory. And if she soothed you when you were young, you have actual imprinting. You have circuitry that is imprinted and associates, makes all those beautiful associations with soothing. So that's a really cool way to do that. And that's something that I think a lot of people, that would be a very nice way for a lot of people to think about right now. What did what happened when they were little and they were really scared? What soothed them? And it could be from another person or what they did. And it could be singing a song, humming, definitely something with a smell. Maybe they mom baked something or whatever. But if you can bring all those other senses, so the sense of touch, that sense of smell, um, even a sound, if you can bring that into your life right now when you're feeling that, that's a really, that's an awesome way actually to, I think make it even easier than trying to just use your mind <laughs> um, yeah. because the senses will immediately take you out of focusing on whatever that is and it'll bring you kind of to the present moment. So that that's a very neat example that I think people could follow for themselves. Thank you. Very nice. So we've talked about a lot of things, Stephanie. Is there any aspect of uh, how we prepare ourselves or how we prime our brain or any, any other aspect that you would like to share with our listeners? Well, I'm going to, um, so I'm actually creating a, a handbook right now on self-regulation that I want to release as soon as I can. Just got to, I, I work many hours, so I got to do it on the weekends. But um, there's four components to it that I'll just mention right now to, for people to think about. So I kind of divide it into four categories. There's two types of self-regulation. And then there's two types of what, um, especially Stephen Porges, who developed the polyvagal theory, calls co-regulation. So self-regulation is obviously us, you know, trying to regulate our own bodily state, our own physiological state. And there's two ways to do this. So one is using an object or something external. So very much like what you did. That is self-regulation using something something, you know, outside of us, not just our mind. So it can be a sensory thing, like a cup of tea. Um, like you were saying, that's one for me. I have a tea ritual, um, you know, where you are very mindfully, you watch the steam from the tea, you smell it, you feel the heat as you raise the cup to your face. All of those things, those sensory things are going to just let you focus more on just right now. If you are having a cup of tea, things are okay in that moment. And it's really important for us to notice those small little moments. If you are able to have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea in the morning, then in that moment, you are okay. 
doesn't mean the rest of the day you will be okay, but in that moment you will be. And you really need to give your nervous system a break to let you know that. So use those sensory cues. So that's one that one type of self-regulation. And the other type of self-regulation is more what I call unconditional in the sense that that is where you use your mind. And that's the power of the human brain. We're the only species that's able to do this. But that is where you take that intentional moment to use your own mind to find something you're grateful for, to have a pleasant thought, to just notice your breath, whatever that is. So you're not using anything sensory. You're actually taking attention away from your senses and moving it into just your internal kind of state, your mind. So that's the second type of self-regulation. And then the two types of co-regulation, so co meaning we use another person. So one is where it's, again, more of a sensory experience where we connect with somebody. And for many of us right now, it's online. But we find a way to be with a, someone that soothes us, that helps us feel just happy or safe. And we use them as a way to regulate because that's how we are wired to do to regulate ourselves is with other humans or mammals. So that can be a pet too. Um, so that's, again, using the sense of hearing, the sense of it could be touch if you're able to, sense of smell if you're able to. But if not, it's going to be the sense of hearing from their voice or their visual, just seeing them, seeing their eyes, seeing their smile, whatever that is. So that's co-regulation using, using the senses again. And then another way, the, the fourth way is co-regulation, but what I call unconditional, which is where, um, once again, you use your mind to bring up somebody. So you use your mind to bring up somebody from your past that soothed you, somebody right now, whatever that is, but bringing up um, loving memories and sending love their way and feeling love from them, picturing them smiling at you. And the beauty of that practice is that they, because right now we may have people in our lives that we normally turn to, to comfort us, but they might be too stressed to do that right now, or they might be dealing with the illness or whatever, whatever is going on for them. So we might need to be able to still have them as a source of comfort for us, but regardless of whatever's going on for them. Um, so by bringing up positive memories, we're kind of creating it as an unconditional relationship. There's no conditions that matter. I'm still, I still get to feel your connection with you. So those are four kinds of regulation that um, I'm going to be writing about in my little handbook. I look forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> And that, uh, that's a beautiful moment to close because I want to take, uh, really take a moment to thank you because with your blog, with your podcast, with your videos, you help me make sense of uh, how I think and respond to what's happening every day in my life. I call you my uh, neuroscience teacher and coach. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so very grateful. Uh, you really help me make sense of, uh, of, of what I experience and how I think and respond to it. Thank you. And I'm very grateful for you, Maria. I think that you ask very important questions that people are thinking. And what you do for me is you offer me a platform to, to share my voice because I love learning about all this and researching it, but the most exciting part is sharing it and hoping that it helps people feel really just soothed. I think that's, that's something that a lot of us just really need to feel right now, comforted and soothed. And so I'm really, I really appreciate that you help me do that and share my voice. <laughs> Thank you, Stephanie. I'm so grateful for your time and it's always a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. 
stay healthy. Thank you, you too. Thanks for listening. I hope Stephanie's insights helped you make sense of what's happening in your body and your brain during this unprecedented experience of our lifetime. Here are my two takeaways from my conversation with Stephanie. First, I will continue to pay close attention to my physiological sensations after I hear an upsetting piece of news. This way, I can soothe my body quickly, relax my brain, and stay calm and healthy. Second, I want to share with you a reflection I had after my conversation with Stephanie was over. I have been calling my mom in Greece every day since the end of February. I check on her and also provide guidance and support. The other day, in order to avoid talking about COVID-19 too much, I asked my mom what she was planning to cook the following day so I could cook the same. This way, we could share something from far away that we usually do together when I visit Athens. So far, we've done this a few times. What she cooks for dinner, I cook for lunch. And somehow, this is now a small activity that gives us something else to talk about and reminds us of our normal life before COVID-19. I usually give mom a call while I prepare my meal and talking about food helps us stay in the present moment and forget about all the things that are happening around us that we have no control over. And now, a question for you. What is one simple thing you can start doing every day, either alone or with a loved one, that will remind you of your normal life and will bring some order to your day? I wish you and your loved ones good health. Stay calm, stay connected. These two shall pass. If you enjoy listening to Impact Learning, please leave us a review on iTunes to help people like you find this podcast. You can also subscribe and never miss an episode. And if you have friends and loved ones who would be interested in this episode, please share it with them. Thank you. And remember, we can talk about learning, we can design it, or we can do both. This is Impact Learning. I'm your host, Maria Zenidou. Till next time.